Hope you all are doing well, and uh, happy Father's Day from one father to other fathers. Hope you are having a wonderful day and uh, wonderful activities. Maybe you just planned for a nap, I don't know, but uh, hope you are, are enjoying your Father's Day so far. And uh, We are going to be picking back up in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, if you have your Bible with you this morning. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 5 here in a moment. Uh, just kind of get us back to where we're going. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, for the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at Jesus apostling and sending out the 12 disciples who would be named apostles. And so for the last couple of weeks, we just spent time getting some background information on these individuals and, and to learn a very, I think, important lesson. None of these individuals, none of the 12 were qualified to do what Jesus was telling them and commanding them to do. Uh, Jesus is the one who qualified them. And none of us are qualified to do what God commands us to do in His Word, but God qualifies us as His children by giving us His Spirit and the power and everything we need for life and godliness. And this morning we're going to pick up in chapter 10 and verse 5, and our, our focus this morning is marching orders as Jesus is preparing these men on what they can expect and encounter as they go out. And we're going to be in chapter 10 for the next uh, several weeks. Um, Jesus didn't just call these men to follow him around like some sort of lost puppies trying to be with him and be around him. I mean, everyone, almost everyone wanted to be around Jesus. What Jesus did is he called these men to be discipled by him, to learn from him, to watch what he did and heard what he spoke and what he taught, and then in turn to go out and be about his mission. And I think we should all love God about this. Uh, that God does not call us just to come to church and to be at church. Because we love this about every aspect of life that we uh, entertain ourselves with. For example, if you're in sports, no one goes out for a sport so they can just go to practice, right? We want to compete. We want to be in the game. We don't go out for a sport so we can sit on the sideline in the game, but we want to be in the game. We want to be involved. Um, you know, recently I started getting back into running. I do not run because I enjoy it. I, I don't. Uh, I, there, I think Nate and I had this conversation about a runner's high. I, that happens when I'm done and I can just you know, walk the rest of the way home. I, I do not enjoy running. I was not built for running. My wife was built for running. She was a cross-country runner. I was built for short bursts and, and, and that was it. But I've taken up running because I want to Try to get back in shape. You know, COVID brought on some wonderful baking things for my daughter, and uh, I need to, you know, lose a little bit of that. But I run, and my goal is I want to get to a 5K. I want to be able to run a 5K without stopping or dying, and I want to finish it and feel proud about that because, to me, that's a challenge. And I know we have runners here, and you all can go out, and you can just do it like that, and it's no big deal, but it is for me. And so that's my goal. I'm doing something for an ultimate end. You know, if you're in theater... I know we have a couple uh, theater people here. Danny, do you go to rehearsals just so you can keep rehearsing? No. no. Do you memorize all those lines so you just have all those lines memorized? No. You want to do the play, right? You want to put on a performance. You want people to see all the hard work you put in. For our band members, you don't go and practice your instrument and, and beat on drums or play flutes and trumpets simply so you can do that over and over and over again. You want to go to competitions. You want to put on concerts so your family members and loved ones can come and see what you have accomplished. Students, I know it's summer. You don't want to hear this. But you do not study 
simply so you can study and study and study. Ultimately, a teacher is going to give you something you all cherish, and that is a what? A test. Why? Because they want to know if you've learned the material you're supposed to be studying, and ultimately, to be able to apply it to part of your life, hopefully. I know there's some subjects I still don't know how they applied, but they're out there. Jesus has 12 men that are closest to him. and I mean, there's a multitude of crowds. And he's been discipling these men for some time. Scripture is not clear on how long he's been discipling. It, it may be a year. It may be less than a year. But at this point in time in Scripture, Jesus says, whether you're ready for it or not, whether you think you can or not, it's time for you to start practicing what you've been learning. It's time to put it into life and to see how this works out. Now, how many here have been saved for at least a year or more? All right. So all of us can relate to these disciples because some of us have been saved longer than that. We've been with Jesus longer than these men have been with Jesus at this point in his ministry. And so when Jesus says it's time for us to go out and to practice what we've been learning, to put into practice the time we've been spending with Jesus, here's the thing, we are without excuse. Jesus does not allow this to be debated. He does not allow the disciples to speak up and say, oh, but wait, wait, wait. You see, we don't go to church just so we can go to more church. We don't go to Bible study so we can go to more Bible study. We don't go to conferences or our youth don't go to camp. We don't listen to sermon podcasts, read Christian books, or even our own personal Bible study just so we can gain more and more knowledge. The point is to put it into practice. The point is to apply it. The point is to live it and to be on mission to where God has placed us. Again, Jesus has been discipling these men for some time. And now it's time to put into action what they have been learning. Before he sends out the twelve for the first time, he gives them marching orders. He tells them where to go, what to do, what not to take, how to act, and what to understand. And our, order, our orders are a little bit different today, particularly on where to go. And we're going to see that here in a second. But the same principles apply to what Jesus tells these 12 men to all of us here in 2021. So let's read our passage and we'll walk through it. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. May you are our great defender. You defend us even when we're not aware of it, Lord. You fight our battles. Your word tells us over and over again the battle belongs to you. 
So we want to trust you. And in this moment, we open up your word. We want to trust you to bear ourselves before you and say, Lord, have your way with us. To convict us if we need conviction, to draw us to repentance. Lord, to rebuke, train, correct us for righteousness. Father, we want to be the individuals that you're equipping us to be in this world, to be that light and that salt. And so, Lord, I ask your spirit just open up the scriptures. I ask you to remove me from this equation. Father, let me just be the instrument of your use, that our hearts would be softened and ready to hear and apply what you are going to present to us through your word that is living and active. Pray for those here this morning, Lord, that are seeking after you. They're here, they don't know you as their Lord, they don't know you as their Savior. And by your grace and your mercy, Lord, I beg that you reveal that to them. That that blessing would be opened, their eyes would see it and their ears would understand. Above all else, Lord, I pray that you alone be glorified in this time. That you will and kingdom be the only thing that is done here. And pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So the first thing I want us to see in our passage is Jesus begins by telling these men where to go. The Greek word for instructing there in verse 5 holds several different meanings from the Greek. It typically is used for a military command, but it can also be used for when a friend calls for help from another friend to assist him. It can be used in the platform of a classroom when a teacher is giving the instructions to his students and expecting them to follow the instructions, which I know our teachers all experience that, uh, being married to a teacher. It also can be an imperial command. The most common way that the word instructing in the Greek is given is from a king instructing his students or his pupils as ambassadors to be dispatched. The point is, is it, this is not going to be an option. The disciples are not going to be able to barter with Jesus in this moment. They're not going to be able to debate with Him on what He is telling them to do. Jesus was commanding and dispatching His disciples to go into the world and to practice what He had been teaching us. And the same principle is applied to us today. In the Gospel of Matthew, at the end of the book in chapter 28, Jesus says, Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We commonly know this as the Great Commission. The Greek, go therefore, is actually one word in the Greek, and it means, as you are going. So the expectation here in Matthew 10 is the same expectation that Jesus has for us in Matthew 28, that we are expected to go out into the world, and we are expected to make disciples. We are commanded it. We are commanded to go and be a people of action. Now, the difference between Matthew 28 and Matthew 10 is the command that Jesus gives in giving some restrictions on where the disciples are to go or not to go. But see, now that Jesus has risen from the grave, now that He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, we are called to go to all nations. So why the difference here? Well, Matthew 10 is not a permanent command. This is evident as you go to Matthew chapter 28 and as you read into the book, of, uh, the book of Acts and you look into Peter and Paul's ministry. Jesus is restricting His disciples here in Matthew 10 because He came as the Jewish Messiah. 
after His resurrection and after His ascension, when the Holy Spirit comes upon His people, this command is then going to be expanded. And the early church understood the message of the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ is that He had come and accomplished all that God had sent Him to do, but He had come first for the Jews and then for the Gentile or those who are outside of the covenantal family. So this gives us an understanding when you go read into the book of Acts and the wrestling match that the early believers were having with the expansion command of going beyond the Jewish people. Peter struggled with it. When God told Peter to go to the Gentile Cornelius and to preach the gospel to him, Peter struggled with that. Paul struggled with it. Even though Paul was commissioned by God to take the gospel to the Gentile world, Paul goes to the first Christian church and tells him what he's been doing, tells him the, the, the message he's been preaching, and wants to make sure this is in accordance to what God has commanded them as well. The early Christian church struggled with it. The Jewish people struggled with it in the book of Acts. Jesus initially came to be the Messiah of the Jewish people. But by God's power and saving grace, all people are now invited in and to be grafted into God's covenantal family. What Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 10 in issuing these restrictions, He's also limiting the territory that He is expecting His disciples to cover. It says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be to the north. It says, go, do not enter into the town of the Samaritans. The Samaritans would be to the south. So Jesus is telling his disciples, look, I have expectations of you. I have expectations of you to be applying and living out what you've been learning. But I also do not have the expectation that you are to go everywhere. He is telling them, I want you to stay in the region of Galilee. I want you to stay where I am. You are to stay where I am so you can be closest to me and only take this message to the house of Israel, which would be the Jewish people. So though our command in Scripture is to take the gospel into the world, we have to come to this reality. We are not going to be able to reach all types of people. I think sometimes we feel we've got to reach them all and then we don't do anything because we become overwhelmed with the work ahead of us. And Jesus right here in the gospel doesn't allow his disciples to become overwhelmed with the territory where the gospel needs to go. But instead, you need to target, you need to focus your energy. We're called to preach the gospel to all types of people. But not every individual is going to receive the gospel from us. Here's something even harder to understand. Not every individual is going to like this church that we form in Harvest Hill Baptist Church. It's a hard pill to swallow. I think this is an awesome church. Amen? Yeah, good. I, I was worried there for a second. You know, this is an, I love this church. I mean, we are quirky. We are different. We are weird. I will, I will testify this is the, the strangest, in a good way, church I've ever been in. But that's a good thing. But here's the thing. Not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody's going to like what Harvest Hill is as a church family. And so there are types of people that Harvest Hill is not going to be able to reach. But you know what? God planted Landmark right down the street. And Landmark can reach people that Harvest Hill can't. And Harvest Hill can reach people that Landmark can't. 
And God planted another Southern Baptist church across the interstate in First Baptist. And guess what? They can reach people that Harvest Hill can't. And Harvest Hill can reach people they can't. The, the point is we are called to reach people, but we have to understand not everybody is going to like our reaching out to them. And that goes as a church, but it also goes individually. There are going to be people in your life that are not going to want to hear the gospel from your lips. It may be because you have done something to make a stumbling block. It may be because you represent something they don't care for. It may be because you don't have common interests, and so you don't have a common ground to start with. So there are going to be people that are going to be resistant to you presenting the gospel, but the Bible still does not permit you or me to stop presenting. We keep presenting, we keep presenting, and understanding that sometimes we're going to hit and sometimes we're going to miss. Rick Warren writes, For your church to be most effective in evangelism, you, have, you must decide on a target. Discover what types of people live in your area. Decide which of those groups your church is best equipped to reach. And then discover which styles of evangelism best match your target. Knowing who you're trying to reach makes evangelism much easier. Again, it's not an excuse on why we shouldn't share the gospel, why we shouldn't preach Jesus Christ. It's to understand the reason why some people aren't going to receive it from our own mouths. They aren't going to receive it from our lips. They aren't going to receive it, and they aren't going to like Harvest Hill. And we're a smaller church. It's summertime, so we're really small now, right? We're a smaller church. Even when a lot of people are here, we're still considered a smaller church, considering some of the churches that are around in our area. Do you agree with that? Here's the thing about smaller churches. You cannot sneak in and out of smaller churches. You can't. And so when people visit Harvest Hill, and they get bombarded by handshakes and hugs and glad to see you, don't stop doing that. That's not what I'm telling you to do. There are some people, pre-COVID, that don't want it. There are some people that they want to sneak in and sneak out of church. And so that's why when people come back who haven't been here in a while, and they didn't bombard you, oh, it's so good to see you, I missed you. There are some people that aren't going to like it. They aren't going to want those people in their faces. I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful how we fellowship before worship and after worship. I think it's beautiful, at times frustrating, but beautiful that we have to say, hey, we are going to start, so you do need to come in. That's what makes us unique. I think it's beautiful that God called me to a church, and we say we're going to start at 1030, and, and, and I'm one guy that, you know, you say 1030, you, you're there at 1015. But I think it's funny how God really works on my heart, because you all hear 1030, you're like, ah, 1040 is good too, Right? So God's working on me. But not everybody's going to like that. And we have to understand why people aren't going to like it. Don't stop being friendly. Don't be st stop being what makes us unique as a church. But we have to understand some of the things that the way God has made us as a church family is going to put some people off, which is why they're not going to come back. What about our mission field? Harvest Hill Baptist Church mission field is Stratford and the surrounding community. We may reach, we may lead someone to Christ from a different community that's in our area, or even from a different state. 
But most people who are going to like Harvest Hill Baptist Church and most people who are going to like the message we present are because they're from Stratford or from the surrounding area. We have common interests. We have things that we share, whether it's kids at school or grandkids at school. Disciples here in Matthew chapter 10 are told to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We are too. We're commanded to go to the lost sheep with the goal of all individuals coming to salvation. And whether or not they get plugged into Harvest Hill or somewhere else, that is not the goal, believe it or not. We are not trying to lead people to Harvest Hill Baptist Church. We're trying to lead people to Christ. And so if they come to Christ, then we're going to help them get plugged into a Bible-preaching church so they can continue to get fed. The phrase lost sheep, it's a common phrase in Scripture. It refers to those who have wandered and strayed from God. And even though disciples are restricted to Israel and to the Jewish people, it's the same concept today. We are to reach out to those who have strayed and wandered away from God. And the command that restricted disciples on where to go is actually a command to concentrate their efforts in a particular region. As a church body, we are called to pray, love, and reach out to this community. Okay? And the communities that are around it. That is our calling as a church, is to love on this community. That's our target. We're going to be faithful to evangelism and missions that impact the rest of the world, but God has planted us here to reach this and the surrounding communities. So be faithful to this target. And what we see in Scripture, when we're faithful to where God has targeted us, God begins expanding the target. But we have to be faithful with the little before we be faithful in the big. Harvest Hill's target is people who enjoy small-town life with the luxuries of big city right around the corner, right? But we don't want to live there. We want to live small-town life where everybody knows your name, you know? We, we, we like that. We like the intimate settings. We like smaller gatherings. People who come here are, are going to have to like newer Christian music for the most part. I mean, we, do, we throw a hymn out there every now and then, and some of y'all get the tingles, right? But... For the most part, we play newer Christian music. An individual who comes to Harvest Hill is going to have to want the Bible. If they're coming to be entertained, they'll be disappointed. If they're coming for fluff, they're going to be disappointed. If they're coming hoping that the pastor is going to give them a 10-step process on how they can be better in their life, they're going to be disappointed. Individuals who come here are going to want to know God's Word deeply and be ready to apply what they learn. Individuals who come here aren't looking to be entertained by the preacher or the worship band or the youth pastor. I know my jokes, all right? I know they're not funny. <laughs> I know you laugh either at me or with me out of your grace, okay? I get it. I'm a dad and a preacher. I got two strikes on me, and Craig can relate, right? The, the jokes are corny. I understand that. I understand you like hearing stories more about my kids and my wife than me, unless it's something I did stupid. But I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to preach the Word. I'm here to deliver God's Word so it can equip God's people. Most people who come here are going to come feeling like they can come as they are. Look around. I do not see one tie today. That people can just, someone said amen. 
think it was Jody, but well, anyway. <laughs> Steve. But people come, we don't expect people to show up in suits and ties and things like that. Matter of fact, when I do wear one of my blazers or suits, everyone's like, wow, what's, what's the occasion? You know, it, it, that's just the mentality of the church. Most of you here either like children or you have children. You may not like them enough where you want to take them home, but you like them. You like them. They're fun to be around. They're funny because they do strange things and they do things that you don't expect. That's why they make TV shows. You're probably here because you're in a relationship, have been in a relationship, or are desiring a relationship. That's kind of the, the social gathering we have here. What we need to understand is people do not come to church because the pastor. And I think in America we think that's really the thing, that if you've got a great pastor or an ambitious pastor, entertaining pastor, or a pastor who dresses all hip and whatever, that people will come. But then they're coming for the wrong reasons. And, and sometimes I, I get in so when people aren't here, I think, oh, maybe I'm as the pastor, I'm doing something wrong. But people aren't here for me, and they shouldn't be. And people aren't here for you, and they shouldn't be. People come to church because they have a relationship with you, which is why God has placed you in your particular target area, your job, your vocation, your social gatherings. That's your mission field, your target area. God has placed you there because those people have relationships with you. They have a connection with you and you invite them to church because they trust you. And they may hear the pastor and be like, oh, wow, that was pretty good. But you know why they come back? It's not because of the pastor, it's because of the connection they have with you and the encounter they had with Jesus Christ, which is the way it's supposed to be. God sends us out here in some time, I'm not going to give you a time, <laughs> in some time to go out into his world, into the target area he has placed us. You know, we focus on discipleship, and so some people aren't going to like that. They're not going to want to grow. But what we see Jesus doing is he narrowed the target audience. He narrowed it. I mean, how many people do you really have in your life that you're actually connected to? Facebook does not count. How many people in your life do you actually have conversations with? Do you actually interact with on a, on a personal level? I'm not talking about, you know, whoa, it's really hot today. <laughs> You actually talk about things going on in your life and your family. See how God has already narrowed your target area? He's already put that mission field all around you. They're wandering. They're straying. And you're the light to bring them back to the shepherd. So yeah, we're going to go into all the world. We're going to support missions in all the world. We're going to support preaching the gospel in all the world. But praise the Lord, God says, you know what? Why don't you just focus on who I've already put around you, and then we'll expand that. Be faithful in the little, and then we'll make it bigger. So we eventually don't follow this command, because eventually we follow the, the example of Christ to not limit ourselves by the certain types of people we surround ourselves with. Jesus Christ was holy and blameless. It, who did he hang out with? The sinners, the outcasts. And so some of us, the longer you're a Christian, the more Christians you're going to have in your life. It's just, that's, that's it. So some of us are going to have to get out of our comfort zone and expand our little bubble. 
That may, may mean going next door to the neighbor or that person you always see at the grocery store or the gas station, person that always walks by your house and expands your, bu- your bubble. Paul understood this. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Even he understood he couldn't get them all. I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So our target area is go to the lost sheep. Just as Jesus gave them the target area, go to the lost sheep of Israel, our target is to go to the lost sheep, those who have wandered, those who are not living to where God wants them to be. God does not command us in this, this book in his word, to build a mega church. He doesn't even command us to build a bigger church. He just commands us to be faithful to what he's called us and commanded us to do. So what do we do? Well, look at verse 7 and 8. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, without pain, give without pay. And there's several things in this list, but it basically comes down to two things. Preach the word and reveal the power of God. What do we do when we go out into this world? What do we go when we, we do when we get in that little mission field? We preach the word and reveal the power of God. The message to the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, the message is very simple. I'm not telling you to go out and to get into theological debates. I'm telling you to go out and proclaim me and my lordship and that the kingdom of God is actually a present reality. And that's what we go out and we preach the gospel. We proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ and how accepting him as our Lord and Savior now gives the kingdom of God a present reality in our life. Because God has invited us into this family now and nothing can separate us from him. And so we are living in the kingdom right now. They were to take this message... To those in need, the sick, the dead, the sinful, those in the clutches of the enemy. And we have the same marching orders when we go to preach the gospel. We preach to those who are sick because they are, they are filled with sin. We preach to those who need healing. We preach to those who are spiritually dead because they don't have Christ. We preach to those who are living in sin. And we preach to those who are under the enemy's grasp. We proclaim good news, that good news can be found, that freedom can be found, forgiveness can be found, and you can now belong to the one who created you. The power we reveal, because I know we're not, <laughs> we're a Southern Baptist church, so I doubt many of y'all go out laying hands on people and knocking them down, right? I mean, I just, I, if you do, let's talk. I mean, I want to, <laughs> but the power we reveal is that the power which saved us from the very thing the people are struggling with. So we go out and reveal that the power of God's love, grace, and mercy covers all of our sins, and we don't deserve it, nothing we can do to earn it, but God gives it freely, and because of this power, I now proclaim the message to you. There's not a person in this room who was not once identified as a sinner and an enemy of God. We've got a starting place. We've got a common ground. See, the greatness of the gospel is not in our greatness. And it's not our greatness which is imperative to reach the lost. The greatness of the gospel 
is it reached us while we were lost and now empowers us to reach others who are lost. And then Jesus emphasizes this, what not to take. The faithfulness to share the gospel isn't about an elite education. It isn't about prestige or or possessions. It isn't even about a good reputation. You need none of that to preach the gospel. Some of the best preachers, evangelizers of the gospel are the people who just came to Christ. And they don't know all the theological stuff. They don't know all the doctrine. But they know this. God saved me. God loved me. God forgave me. I belong to Him now. That's good news. (laughs) The only thing these men were commanded to take was the message. Jesus says, don't take money. Don't take provisions. Don't take extra clothing. Don't take food. Just take the message, deliver it, and deliver it freely. Because the sharing of the gospel was to be completely reliant upon God. God was going to provide the place they should go, and God was going to provide the provisions when they were there. And so when it comes to sharing the gospel, one thing that we can all do, and we all might think, is that, well, I need to go to get some training. I need to go take a class. I need to have tracks in my hand. And and that's fine. You can do all those things. But the command that Jesus gives them on what they are to take is a complete reliance upon God. That's it. You can know your ABCs and your 123s and your Gospels and your Graces and all those things, but if you're not relying upon God, then there's no power. There's no ability to bring the lost to be saved. And so we're not to rely on worldly things to present spiritual truth. Instead, we rely on God and the message we've received from God. William Barclay writes, Jesus' instructions mean that the man of God must show his attitude to material things, that his first interest is God. So we go out and we leave worldly affairs and attachments behind so we can cling to Christ because the power is not in us. The power is in the gospel message that we have received and we are to give it freely. And then Jesus tells them how to act in verses 11 through 14. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Wherever they were to find themselves, wherever that area that God led them to, wherever that person was, they had to be worthy. What does that mean? It means they were to find someone who was ready to receive what they had to offer. That's what being worthy is. You find someone who's ready to receive what we have to offer. And what does Jesus tell them if someone's not worthy? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Why? Because there are too many people to try to beat down a dead tree or whatever that phrase is, that we have to continue to press on with the mission and the message of Jesus Christ, and we have to present it to other people. All the disciples had to give was the message. They did not have material possessions to offer. And so they found someone who was worthy and they gave their greeting. The greeting in the Jewish is shalom. It means peace to you. 
It was a greeting of calling spiritual well-being on the place and person, and then to follow that peace-giving offering to them by delivering the message of peace that is found in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Right here in Scripture, Jesus points out, even in His day, not everyone is going to accept the message. Just think about that. Physical Jesus. He's doing miracles. He's casting out demons. He's teaching with authority that awes the thousands. And even when He is on this planet, there were still people not willing to accept His message or what He presented. So if they weren't going to accept Jesus in His day, and we represent Jesus in this day, we can expect the same reaction. There are going to be people who Jesus defines as not worthy because they want nothing with what we have to offer. So what do we do? We shake the dust off our feet. That's a common Jewish phrase. The Jews believed that when they went anywhere that was Gentile, they had gone to a place that was unclean. And so their custom was when they returned to their land, when they returned to the promised land, the, the, the land of Israel, they would shake the dust off the feet that had, that had been acquired because they were leaving the pagan ways, the unbelieving ways behind. They weren't allowing that to come with them. So Jesus says, when you find someone does not want your message, which is the message of Him and the message of the Gospel, you shake off your feet, you treat them as an individual who is outside the covenantal family, which they are, because they don't want Jesus, they want to be adopted in, and then what do you do? You move on. The ultimate message is to keep pressing on. Just because someone doesn't want the message we present doesn't mean the message is to be stopped presented. It's to stop being presented. And so we move on with this tragic understanding, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like what you present. Not everybody's going to like the God that you serve. But they aren't rejecting us as a whole as much as they're rejecting our Savior. And finally, Jesus wants His disciples to understand something in verse 15. It's true, I say to you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Sodom and Gomorrah, you can read of that in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Sodom and Gomorrah were completely obliterated. They rejected God's messengers. God sent angels in. And one particular town tried to break down Lot's door so they could have unnatural relationships with these angels who appeared as male individuals. They broke the law of hospitality. We'll get it out. The law of hospitality. So disciples and us today are to understand when people reject the message of God, they're rejecting the kingdom of God and they're rejecting God's hospitality. The law of hospitality for Jewish people would be heavily taboo today, particularly after what we just went through last year. For the Jewish people, the law of hospitality said this, if a stranger or someone traveling came through your town and became nighttime, you were obligated to open up your home and invite them in, even if you didn't know them. They can be complete strangers. They didn't have to be family. But you were obligated under the law of hospitality 
to invite them in and treat them as family, to feed them and to care for them. The message of the gospel is a message of hospitality, God's hospitality towards sinful man. God takes in the stranger, the sinner, the enemy, and He cares for them as His own. And those who reject God's message stand in judgment before God. But you see that? It's not going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be more bearable than that individual who rejects God's hospitality. Why? Because eventually, Sodom and Gomorrah is restored. But when people reject the gospel message, it is complete destruction. We are commanded to share the gospel. We don't need to decide how people respond. Scripture is very evident about that. We only need to decide on how we respond to God's command. We're either going to be faithful in sharing the gospel and preaching it, or we're going to be unfaithful. And here's reality. To not preach the gospel is a sin. You're commanded to do it. I'm commanded to do it. And so if I'm not preaching the gospel, I'm living in sin. I'm disobeying what God has told me to do. And God has empowered all of us to carry out this mission. So here's something I want you to think. I know our stomachs are starting to rumbly and our tumblies. Think of one person. One person that God has already placed in your life that needs to hear the gospel. Don't think of your entire street. One person. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Maybe they're someone you work with. Someone you have a relationship with, that you've, you've talked about sports, you've talked about the weather, you've talked about politics, and you're still friends. That you could share the gospel because God has already opened that door. Now, I want you to pray for that person. And pray for yourself. Pray that you would rely upon God. You would see when God opens the door to share His message to share the power that has been in your life. God may not be sending you to the far corners of the earth. He may not be sending you to the Amazon or the rainforest, but He has sent you and He has sent me to our workplaces. Students, He sent you to your sports teams, to your social gatherings. He's going to send you back to school here in a couple months. When we leave this place, and all this week, God is sending us out into the lost to deliver His message. That's it. But maybe someone has invited you here this morning to hear the message of God's gospel. Because you have strayed, you've wandered, you're not who God created you to be. The gospel is that God created you for a relationship with Him, but your sins are separating you from God. And nothing you can do can remove your sin problem. You can't be good enough. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't live a good life and get into heaven. It is only through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying the cost of your sin. He rose again that you might be completely forgiven. And the Bible says when you believe in that as truth, it does not say you have to understand it all, but you believe in that as truth, that God loves me that much, Jesus did what He did for me, that I might be saved and forgiven, and you will be saved. And the Bible gives instructions. When you believe it in your heart, you need to confess it with your mouth. 
So I'll be standing down here. Nick and Bridget are going to come up and lead us. And if that's you, if you need to accept the gospel, if you need to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to come. But maybe God has put someone on your mind so much, you just need to come and kneel before the Father and lift them up in prayer for God to open the door either this afternoon or this week for you to have the conversation, the most important conversation you can have with them. This is a time to respond. It's a time of invitation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for entrusting us with your message, for empowering us with your spirit, for giving us your word. Lord, thank you that you've given us everything we need to go out into this world. Thank you that you warn us it's not always going to be easy and it's going to be heartbreaking at times. But Lord, you still send us. Forgive me if I've been unfaithful in not going to where you've been telling me to go to preach your word. But Lord, let us be a church who's about your commands, about showing that we love you because we're, we're being obedient to the commands you've given us. Lord, if anyone here this morning does not know you, and your spirit has spoken to their heart and revealed that to them, I pray that they would have the courage to walk down and let that be known, that they want their eternal destiny to be changed. Father, we give this time to you. We ask that you alone be glorified in it. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.